with great mojo comes great responsibility. Mojo 5 Mojo 5 We will make America great again. Sam Sorbo. podcast wherever you find podcasts uh we got a lot to go through today i'm going to tell you uh got a guest coming on to talk about a true story of survival and spirituality the changing numbers on the covid outbreak and also black butts matter uh that's according to some people in portland uh, there's we'll have more on that later in the show uh before we get started with all that masks apparently are the new bra they're uncomfortable. You only wear them in public. And when you don't, everybody notices. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. Listen to this. I was hurting. But the thing that was hurting most was my head and heart. I was just stressed out. Spiritually, that's where the most of my ache was. So I'm known for the guy that scored the overtime run against UK. But I'd rather be known for Jesus Christ. The peace that he provides. And the plan to hear half of your life. All right, so that is the trailer, a piece of the trailer uh, that uh, is from a movie that my next guest is talking about. He is T.C. Stallings. He's a former professional athlete. He's now finding great success in films and television. You've seen him in, uh, I'm sure, uh, lots of films, Unbridled, uh, Courageous, uh, which was phenomenal, um, War Room. Were you in War Room? Hold on. Now I'm getting confused. But anyway, um, anyway, yeah, we're talking about 24 Counter. It's called 24 Counter. It's the story behind the run. And it gives an inside look at his life, T.C. Stalin's, um, how growing up in a low-income situation, dangerous neighborhood, how that shaped his desire for a way out. So welcome to the program. It's great to speak with you. Hey, Sam. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, I've been a fan for for quite a while. And uh, I had the, actually, I, I had the privilege of meeting you at some film event um, for films and, uh, yeah, you're just awesome. In Orlando. Yeah. You're just, you're just awesome in person. I love your on-screen presence. Um, and so, oh, but let's, you. but, uh, but let's talk about this movie because this movie is, it's a departure for you in a sense, because it's a documentary. This is you on the screen. This is your heart, right? Absolutely. And, um, I'm really excited about it. It's, it's, you know, me and my wife call it, my documony and we laugh because I think uh, we invented that word. I'd never heard of it before, but it's a documentary of my testimony. And it just reminds me of if someone was to say, Hey TC, you know, how'd you come to know the Lord? And what was that all about? And then they don't realize that that is a very, very dramatic story. And I've got a chance to tell it. And I've seen so many people inspired by it. And so at this stage of the game, you know, 20 years later from when it happened, I decided to tell it in such a way where, you know, people can sit down anywhere in the world and watch it and be impacted by it. And so I'm really excited to just sit down and have that cup of coffee with the world and tell my story. 
Uh, it was a big undertaking to to sit down and do this. Was it was it something that is is this the vision that you had initially, or did it grow from what you were initially going to do? No, it, it actually started off as just me venting, and when I say <laughs> venting, I mean I I I felt like a victim, really. Um, I back then, you know, twenty years ago. Like I said, I, my faith wasn't what it was, what it is now in terms of understanding persecution, understanding the sacrifice of being a Christian. And so I felt like a victim and people really didn't know my story. And I wrote it down for myself. And, you know, it turned out to be like a hundred something page blog, basically, that I didn't even know what to do with. And I held on to that. Years later, it turned into a book that I wrote called Plan on God's Team, where I initially just wanted to help other athletes that had been through what I had been through, other Christian athletes. But then when I realized that, you know, the word team is defined as a collection of people coming together for a common goal. And that's all Christians are. So I realized that it ain't just sports. Uh, your family's a team. Your job is a team. Anytime people come together to do something and, and we all have to give effort to that boss or that leader or that or whatever. And I looked at the effort that I was giving to my football team and realize that, you know, God wanted that same kind of effort. And so I'm like, man, you know what? I can share this with anybody. And so it was the book. But then I realized that my complete story wasn't told in the book. So I said, you know what? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to, you know, go through all of the study that it takes to learn how to, you know, do the, do the writing and the directing and the shooting. And, the, and so I literally just took it as a one-man show and took the challenge. And I'm really excited with what it, you know, how everything turned out. Oh my gosh! So you wrote the direct, the documentary as well. I did everything, everything, absolutely. And this is the one time in my life, like I said, I've got a chance to, I've got a chance to work on, you know, praise God, twenty two or so projects. Uh, none of them have ever been something where I had to do nearly everything myself. But it's funny how I, I believe the Lord works in that. You know, this started off as something back in twenty nineteen where it was just going to be something I could put on YouTube. You know, I, I felt like, you know, it was my testimony. So I just want people to hear it. I don't want any barriers. I don't want to, you know, people to have to like pay for it. And so I was like, you know what, let me just do a YouTube video. And then it got so long and it got so intricate. And I started to study documentaries. I'm like, man, I don't think people want to just sit here and look at my face for an hour i mean it's not i don't know, know. It's that's not, not that bad it's going and speaking <laughs> like you know you know like when, when you're in person is one thing but to just sit there and so i'm just like i started to study documentaries and i said maybe i can do that and then the pandemic hit and you get to the point to where you know you can't go out and you know elicit a lot of help anyway you can't have a whole bunch of different locations you can't travel and do a bunch of interviews and like I was literally to the point to where I was in my home uh, because, like I said, this was a year later that I decided to really turn it into something amazing and entertaining. And uh, I'm, it's pandemic, so you can't even leave the house. And so rather than sit here and soak about it, I said, you know what, I'm going to take the, the time to refresh and redo that documentary that I've been working on. So all throughout the pandemic is when I was working on it. Right. And so I think that makes a testimony even greater that I got a chance to focus on Jesus. Um, because I lost my mom during the pandemic. Oh. Um, a, lot, a lot of people don't know that, but my mother died April 15th. And uh, you know what? She's all over this documentary. I, de- I, I dedicated it to her, and uh, it made me pour into it even more. So, yeah, wow. it is a complete one-man show, written, directed, edited, everything by myself. 
comes out on demand 6.30, June 30th. Yep, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yep. Uh, where can people tomorrow find it? Uh, they can go to my website, and I want, it, I want it to be really, really easy. So www.tcstallings.life, and uh, that's L-I-F-E. And right when you go on there, you won't miss it. it, it it'll direct you right to the film's main page, which is tcstallings.life forward slash 24 counter. And it'll give you, it'll walk you right through it, how to stream it, download it, and watch it. And I just pray that everybody watches it and just shares it with the world. And people are going to see what it truly means to be on Team Jesus. And that's, at least that's my plan. That's my goal. That's my hope. What is 24 Counter? What is that? Oh, I love that. <laughs> so okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Basic- you have to understand, I am not a sports person. I married a sports person. Some of it has rubbed off. Right. And in fact, maybe you should tell the audience a little bit about your your sports. Just a brief, you know, who are you to sports? Because you, you're famous in sports, and sure. right. And and then do explain twenty four counter because yes, I'm naive and don't laugh at me. Absolutely, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm laughing because <laughs> I'm laughing because I just think it's great that how that title came about, and I always giggle because of the way that it comes out in the story. That you ever watch those movies where the title is literally just a word that comes up later. Like, you know, it's like the whole movie goes and then you hear the title at some point. Right. And it's like, oh, so that's what that is. Right, and right. I kind of did that with this. Oh, okay. Uh, so 24 Counter, uh, basically, when I grew up, you know, I wanted to be a football player. And, you know, the documentary takes you all the way back because I'm known um, in, in college football circles. I played my college football at the University of Louisville. We were playing against the University of Kentucky. So Louisville versus Kentucky is this huge rivalry. And I ended up, no one knew about me. It was my first year playing running back. And we had this amazing, amazing game, which went into overtime. And, you know, at this point, somebody's going to want the ball so they can be the hero and win the game. And they called my play, which is 24 counter. And I took the ball and I ran on that play and I won the game and I, and I and we beat Kentucky in overtime and everybody knew my name at that point. But you will see in the documentary that I gave when they put all the cameras in my face, that play twenty four counter gave me the opportunity to win the game and just to tell people that Jesus Christ was with me today. Now when I said that, everybody thought I was just talking about how you give him credit for winning the game. But for me to get to that point to where I was a college athlete. I had to overcome so many obstacles, starting from the day I was born, just to be the first person to go to college, to, to get through all of the persecution that I went through, to even get to the point of being on that team. And that's what the documentary walks you all the way through. So when the, when the, when the documentary first comes on, you see me run that play. But then we rewind. I come out of the end zone and go backwards. And then for the next hour, I take you from the day I was born all the way up to that run and everything in between shows how I came to know the Lord and didn't even get to that point and how Satan was trying to sabotage the whole thing. And so that's where the inspiration comes in because you're going to see all the stuff that I had to go through to get to that point so I can get on the national stage and again, get all those uh, cameras in my face and I get ready and, I, and I'm able to give God glory. Because like I said, my dream was to be an NFL football player and take care of my family. And um, God used football to show me you know, what it means to be on his team and uh, so, yeah, my college football career ended up, you know, my sophomore year in college where I actually became a true Christ follower. So it is a very, very interesting story that uh, I can't wait for people to be able to see. But, yeah, but that's what 24 Counter is. And you didn't go into the NFL? 
No, I ended up playing. I did play pro football. Um, the NFL was a goal. After college, I went on to play in the CFL in Canada. Sure. And I played in the Arena Football League as well, and I played in Europe. So I had a good six-year pro career. Right. But then it was after that, I ended up going to see a film, Fireproof. Um, mm-hmm. And that movie moved me so much to where I said, man, I think I know what I want to do when my plan days is over. And I'm going to see if the Lord wants me to do this. And so I prayed about it. And I said, man, I think I, I want to meet these Kendrick brothers, man, this movie. And I ended up meeting them and getting a role in Courageous. And that launched my career and went on to do War Room. And um, and so that's how my whole film career got started. And I gave up everything, came out to L.A. And I've been out here for the last nine years. So that's another story in itself. I talk about that in my book, The Pursuit. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> right. Well, um, I had a brain fart. Of course, you're in War Room. You're you're the you're the you're the bricks of more of War Room, I would say. Uh, oh, and it's man. just it's an what amazing movie, and and you did a remarkable job at it. I highly recommend it to everybody. I also recommend Courageous. Um, uh, well, I recommend the Kendrick Brothers movies. I I love their movies. Um, <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, it was, it was really a highlight for me to meet you, your lovely wife and, uh, your homeschoolers now. <laughs> oh, we, yeah, we've been doing, we've been homeschooling almost as long as you. I think, um, I, I think I saw somewhere you've been doing it for like maybe 10 or so years, maybe more than that. We, we've been homeschooling for nine years. And, um, it was just one of those things where my daughter, I think she was in the third or fourth grade and. I went to go and have lunch with her and, you know, and this has been a buildup as well. Um, just the thing she was coming home telling me, but, um, you know, we go and, and, you know, they're, they're just, they're, they're playing a lot of, you know, music and the music's cussing in her gym class. And I'm just like, why are they, the kids running around to this cussing music and where, where's the teacher and where's the, and I just kept having problems like that. So I'm just like, you know what, we, we, I want, I want more control over education. And, and, um, so me and my wife started to, you know, homeschool, and I should say my wife. I'm just the principal. <laughs> so my wife, You're the gym teacher. Wife, I'm the principal. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and I teach and I teach I teach a, a comedy class, an acting class, gym, and recess. And my, <laughs> my wife does all the hard stuff. But no, we've been doing it uh, with my two kids. You know, for nine years, and. Uh, wouldn't have it any other way. And uh, she, she's, uh, she's graduating this year. I'm really, really proud of her. Yeah, well, congratulations on that. And um, I'm just, uh, look, I'm thrilled to know you. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Again, the name is 24 Counter because that's the play that, uh, that made him, al- that allowed him to make Jesus famous <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. And you've suffered yeah, a little bit. You've suffered a little bit uh, with your outspoken uh, Christian faith, yeah. Oh, for sure. And you know what? I mean, that's that's this is the thing. We always look in Scripture for the promises of God, which there are plenty in there that make you feel good. But then there are other ones that will be tougher. That they are promises that we tend to ignore. You know, He says, "In this life, you will have trouble." Uh, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He that's says, right. "Anyone that aims to live a godly life will be persecuted." Like these are. These are promises. He says the world will hate you, but remember hating me first. So I've experienced all of that. And um but I also see that for every for every painful thing we go through, if it comes from the Lord, it's ordained pain, you know, and I signed up for it. And so um I look forward to the rewards that I get from that, not only on earth, but also in heaven. 
And um and so I'm I'm up for it. That's what living my life is all about. Mm-hmm. I've experienced it in the, the film and acting industry. You know, it's 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 hard to, you know, get roles and things like that because there's usually some compromise involved. But you know, I've been saying no to those things for nine years, and God has not um, ignored ignored that. He's blessed that every single time. And you know, I'll continue to do it. And you know, that's what playing on God's team is all about. I want people to see what what it means to be a real Christian. So hey. From a sports perspective, here's the easy way to understand it. I'm like, God is my head coach. The game is life. The Bible is the playbook. The game schedule is 365 days a year. Same as the opponent. And, you know, we are just to play the game as hard as we can, can play. And, you know, we, we've seen what, what effort looks like when it's something we really, really want. You know, I gave my coaches everything I had so I can win the game. Well, I'm going to give God everything I got so I can win the game of life. And that's why I believe everybody can can learn and grow from this. And that includes the, the persecution and the tough stuff that comes with doing it, you know. And so um, I'm going to continue to just follow him with everything that I do, especially my career and my gifts are for his glory. I'm going to keep doing it. So go go look at the movie, everybody. Uh, www.tcstallings.life. You'll find the movie there. It's available tomorrow. And it was nominated for Most Inspirational Documentary at the 2020 International Christian Film Festival. Congratulations on that. Uh, Congratulations on uh, just completing this uh, phenomenal work. It looks amazing, and I can't wait to see it. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. T.C. Stallings. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. I appreciate it. All the best, and the best to your family, too. Thanks for coming on. Okay, so... uh, I love those stories. Don't you love those stories of um, obvious hardship, obvious, uh, you know, struggle to overcome things and yet just perseverance and follow through. And he's got a real athletic, the the athlete's sort of uh, uh, attitude, right? No pain, no gain. Yes. In this life, there will be, you will face persecution or there will be troubles depends on your, on your version of the Bible. Um, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I've been really struggling. I had an, a very interesting exchange over the weekend, um, with an old friend who, uh, I, I just, I would have, I would have thought that we would have fallen on the same side of the whole COVID so-called debate, right? I suppose that we, that we could call it a debate, except that people, I guess aren't really debating it. I don't know, but um, uh, I'm planning to see this person as I travel a little bit this summer. And um, her response was, well, it's going to look different because uh, there isn't, you know, there isn't much to do. I'm, I'm not doing the classes that I used to do uh, because of, you know, COVID um, the, it's just going to look different. Uh, and I said, okay, that's fine. You know, we'll, we'll figure something out. And I mentioned that uh, my son was tested and showed antibodies for COVID, which means that he probably had it and never knew about it. Um, perhaps we've all developed an immunity without even knowing that's possible. Um, and I said, I was actually thrilled to see the numbers coming down because it's clearly not nearly as deadly as, as they first predicted. And now it's look, looking like it's no worse than perhaps a bad flu, if that. And her answer was so fascinating. She said, we must be reading different news. 
And then she said, I will rely on the experts. Happy to instead talk about the things we have in common. In other words, I have different news than you do. Therefore, your news is invalid. My experts rule. And that's the end of the discussion. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into the email. I don't know. I wrote her back a few question marks. And then I said, well, I just go off of uh, the CDC's numbers. That's the Center for Disease Control. It's the major United States body that is predominantly in charge. I don't know how much more quote unquote expert you can get. And, uh, and then I asked her a question and I haven't heard back. And this was for me somewhat demoralizing because I really like this chick and like we really get along and I admire her. I hold her in very high esteem. She's a very bright lady. Uh, and I feel like uh, COVID has come between us, <laughs> a manner of speaking. And I don't know what to do about it. I don't think there's anything I can do about it. I'm a little trepidatious to actually meet up with her now because I don't know where we stand. And if I extrapolate that a little bit, I wonder if that is a little bit maybe sort of a new paradigm in our society today. And that concerns me that we are becoming so easily divided. I loved what T.C. Stallings said that, you know, we're all on a team. All Christians are on a team, the team God, team God, go team God, rah, rah, right? And yet uh, we're, we're just letting a lot of stuff come between us, stuff of this world. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what to do about that. Uh, I did want to play you this clip. I thought this was uh, fabulous. Um, this is that uh, I, uh, UFC guy. He's a UFC fighter. Just listen. Come here. He's calling someone over to him. So we've been fighting. He's just finished a fight. Right now in this time. And uh, he's got his, he's, he's rigged up to do uh, the interview, the post-fight interview. And um, he calls a, a guy over and a guy comes over, sits down next to him, obviously like smaller, older, chunkier, sits down next to him. I was going to bring. So we've been fighting right now in this time in our country. We're doing this whole Black Lives Matter. Everyone's fighting. Everyone's looting. This is my father. I was born in foster care. I didn't have a mother or a father. They gave me away. My father wasn't fit to be my father. This is my dad here, Jacob Benny. He's been there since the beginning. He's done everything. He lays life down for me, and I lay his life down for him. I don't judge any man on the color of their skin, but the content of their character. We're here. We love. It doesn't matter what color it is. It's all about love. You can't beat hate with hate. You beat hate with love. So 
Everyone out there, please stop fighting. Please come together. We can't beat it that way. With love. All right. I just thought I I just thought I had to share that with you because what a strong what a strong young man, frankly. Um this happened, it's got twelve point five million views. This happened in Florida. Uh, she was uh, an angry Florida woman. Always a good headline, right? Florida man something, something. This is an angry Florida woman. Uh, she's arguing against the mask mandate. Unfortunately, she brings up a whole bunch of other stuff, but it's kind of entertaining. You literally cannot mandate somebody to wear a mask knowing that that mask is killing people. It literally is killing people. And my, the people, we the people, are waking up. And we know what citizen's arrest is. Because citizen's arrests are already happening. Okay? And every single one of you that are obeying the devil's laws are going to be arrested. And you... Doctor are going to be arrested for crimes against humanity. Every single one of you have a smirk behind that little mask, but every single one of you are going to get punished by God. You cannot, you cannot escape God. You All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, she goes on, talks about Bill Gates, 5G, the devil, Hillary Clinton, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they just sit there and take it. They're wearing a mask, which is um, interesting to hide behind, right? It's 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 an interesting. What what's fascinating, like, yeah, you know what? We'll just leave it there. I I honestly like I'm 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 getting to a point where I am um, sort of struggling to find the right words for things because there are so many things that. They're shifting so fast and there's such weird stuff out there happening. The Dixie Chicks are changing their name to The Chicks. And you can probably guess why. Because Dixie is now associated with, uh, you know, the South. And so there's that, right? Uh, so now they're the chicks. They've just uh, dropped a new song all about um, racial injustice and uh, fighting against what everything that's unfair. And unfortunately, or I don't know if maybe it is fortunate or something, um, they the, the music is good because they're very talented. Uh, they feature then at the end, it's called March, March, and they feature at the end, you know, they say, say their names and then they, the names of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, among many others flash on the screen. You know, we could do the same, but it would take too long for the, for the Nazi scourge of homosexuals, priests, and Jews. We could do the same for the Soviet scourge, all the people who went through the Gulag Archipelago and were murdered by Stalin, 30 million plus. We could do the same for Mao. What these people don't understand is that they are ushering in the same type of political system that results in more George Floyds, more Breonna Taylors, more Ahmaud Arbery's. Not fewer. Uh, 
there was a shooting in the chop over the weekend. I heard there were seventeen uh, deaths in Chicago. I can't even say it because I find it so unbelievable in Chicago over the weekend. But here to talk about more about the uh, medical ramifications of COVID is Dr. Dan O'Brien. He hosts a radio show, which is strangely titled Dr. Dan. Actually, it's titled Dr. Dan Medical Futurist. He offers um, health information for both the here and now and the future. He has a specialized knowledge in uh, telemedicine, digital health, robotic technology, gene editing, augmented reality, software technology, and artificial intelligence. So welcome to the program, Dr. Dan. That's funny because I can't hear you. Oh, there. Are you there? Yes. Yes. Thank you for having me. There you are. And Dr. Dan, um, are you artificially intelligent or do you just have the regular kind? <laughs> right. Yeah, probably just the regular kind, but you never know nowadays, right? So, so uh, sort of an interesting time with healthcare technology. It is. In fact, I had my first telemedicine uh, uh, meeting just last week. Quite fascinating. Of course, they didn't do any vitals. They couldn't do vitals. Um, and I probably didn't need them. And then they gave me a prescription, which I found... Kind of interesting. Uh, it works for me because I don't uh, I don't take prescriptions lightly, and so I'm not just looking for a prescription. But um, but I think of all the people out there who who just trust the experts, who just are like, okay, just tell me what to do. And I I don't know. You tell me. I I understand that telemedicine is sort of in the future. It, you know, it is the way that we that we need to go, that we are going. But is it as effective? Yes. Interesting point. With telemedicine, it's a good technology, I believe, for follow-up or even reevaluation. But I think for initial visits, I still think that that physician-patient relationship still has to be there. But right now during COVID, you know, about 90% of my MD colleagues are utilizing telemedicine in order to see patients, obviously, virtually, and then to improve access, particularly in some of these rural communities where people can't get into bigger cities. So so interesting technology that I think that over the next eight or nine months, we're going to continue to see an uptake. But also, I've talked to individuals in the medical schools, experts that are saying they're now implementing this in medical school programs, learning that, hey, this telemedicine is here. We have to get on board with this. So I think that really for the future, we're going to see more and more telemedicine and it's going to increase hopefully quality of care as well as access. Which are I don't know, though, you know, quality of care. Like, I, I get that you'll have access to doctors that you wouldn't have had access to without it right so if you're out on the prairie you could actually see a specialist that that wouldn't co- that you couldn't get anywhere near right but at the same time you're going to miss things that you would that you would not miss in a physical exam well what's that bruise there oh that you know they missed it in fact in fact uh it makes me think of an episode of house when uh the woman on the the south pole uh, they practiced telemedicine and they didn't catch her cancer until they figured out that it was between her toes because they didn't look between her toes because she didn't want to take her socks off. <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. Though. I mean, this is where, again, that initial visit, I think, through patient physician is so crucial. And I think yeah. maybe at that point they can reevaluate is telemedicine an option just in case. Again, I think during COVID, we're seeing such an overwhelming of ERs and clinics that telemedicine became implemented more. But I, I really agree with you. I think that physician-patient relationship is so crucial. The initial visit has to be 
live in person just to make sure you're getting the full picture of someone's medical history. So where were we seeing ERs being overwhelmed? Can you uh, do we know like because it wasn't across the country. I know that there were plenty of ERs that were absolutely desolated. Yep, no, you're right. I think across some of the epicenters, right, I think some of the hot spots around the country, we were seeing an overwhelming amount of people at one time, especially early on as far as clinics, ERs, people couldn't get in. And I, I think they were thinking about, boy, what could be some possible solutions? And I think telemedicine has been around, you know, years ago. Sure. Even it was used a lot between 2002 and 2017, but then recently we just saw this huge uptake because even physicians weren't even going into the hospital or even the clinics and they were staying at home. So we're thinking, boy, how else am I going to see patients? in order to actually get the care that they need. So I think it was it was one solution, but still I think internet access is big. I think even data breaching or cybersecurity has to be fixed. I mean, there still are some issues with telemedicine that have to be looked at just to provide that fair and balanced perspective too. There's a lot of positives, but also, again, with especially with cybersecurity, we have to be very careful. Okay, so now let, let's talk about the COVID, uh, COVID response, the COVID um, data, what are we learning now? This is an ever-changing story, right? It is. I mean, my gosh, I mean, how much we've learned since the beginning of this, right? You know, going back to even March when we thought, hey, this was the beginning. And it's really interesting in the fact that they were showing in a Harvard medical study that this actually might have started earlier than, you know, than people thought. I mean, they were thinking, you know, December 31st in China. But there was actually recent satellite images where they took last year's images from a parking lot to this year and actually stated that maybe that the parking lot was packed, but they found these images in October compared to last October, which means this might have started a lot earlier than we thought. So again, hold on, hold on. Sorry. More and more. You, you said oh, parking yeah. lot and I don't understand. It sounds like some terminology because it makes no sense to me. What do you mean by park? They had images of a parking lot. What does that mean? Yes. So the medical Harvard school did a, a kind of a little bit of a research project and they saw that satellite images showed an increase in cars in these hospital parking lots in Wuhan, China. Oh, compared oh. To last year, they thank saw you. Okay. Increase. So <laughs> like, really, it's, yeah, where are you at? Right. Where? What are you talking? Okay, Wuhan, China, right. hospital parking lot. And, and they're going, okay, that's a concentration of cars that wasn't there before from, from 2018? Exactly. So they're saying that this might have started back in October rather than actually in December. So again, I think that we could have had more preparation, maybe even more awareness. Oh. If we would have known this would have started a lot earlier. 20, tw- of 2019, not 2018. Just last year. Exactly, of 2019. Yeah. But they were comparing the images as you look at the data. Right. They compared the images of 2018 to 2019. They saw such an increase in 2019 in regards to how full these parking lots were, as well as some of the symptoms of COVID. So I think as we look at even the beginning genesis of when did this start, it's so interesting to look at. So um, they're changing. Uh, so I, I've seen now a couple of places that say that, like, the New York Times is changing their maps to show three days as opposed to, or it started out showing three days of uh, activity, and then they changed it to seven days. Uh, because, and and what I'm saying is, if they show three days, then they're just showing there's, you know, there are these little hotspots. When they change it to seven days, the hotspots grow because they're taking a longer time span. Now they've changed it to 14 days to show sort of more of a hotspot, but it's actually diluted because it's over 14 days. 
And that's the, and they're showing the number of new deaths, right? So it's the number of new deaths that they're sort of concentrating to make it seem worse because it was di- so diluted by keeping the same sort of um, measuring metric of number of days. What do you make of that? Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. I, I think right now there's just so much information out there. That there's a lot of, again, speculation. And we have over 100 years of data, right, with the flu since the birth of modern medicine. But with COVID, we only have a few months' data. So I think everyone's trying to figure out exactly, you know, is it three days, is it seven days, is it 14 days? You know, what is the accurate number? How about some of the people that are asymptomatic? What is that looking like? Is that showing up? What is the diagnostic test looking like? Are we seeing a lot of false negatives, false positives, particularly as these diagnostic companies want to be first to market, getting their tests out? So how do we know we're actually accurately you know, really depicting these amount of patients, so I, or amount of people coming, you know, positive. Well, no, no, it's COVID. just deaths. So, At this point, it's they're, they're, they're talking about the number of deaths per, per, it was per three-day average, and then they, then they change it to per week, and then now it's number of deaths per two weeks, right? So if you can, so if you had three, if you had, if you had 100 deaths over three days, that was 100 deaths, right? But then it became 20 deaths over three days. So pull it out to seven days, and you could say, well, it's 90 deaths over seven days. And that looks, you know, worse. But then it exactly. was only it was only twenty deaths over seven days. So oh, make it two weeks. There's still fifty deaths over two weeks. And and this is, of course, the 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 suspicion. Now I get it. You you want to sort of broaden it so that I don't. Actually, I don't get it. Uh, I, it looks like you're broadening it so that it looks worse. Yep. Because you don't want exactly. people to that take really it is. for granted and say, oh, it's not that bad. Right. You know, cause I think through social distancing, through being mindful, through taking proper precautions, that's what they had done originally in China to get that kind of slowing down of the virus. So I, you know, I, I think to your point, I think you're absolutely correct. I think, you know, making it worse than it really appears to be able to make sure people are remaining mindful and, and being careful and taking the right precautions. Now, we've we've seen that um, I've, I've seen reports that China is not properly reporting the number of deaths. Have you seen that? Do you know anything about that? Yes, yes. And I think, again, I think there's a lot of misinformation that maybe they didn't tell us, even more information up front that we should have known early on. So are are we learning that stuff or are we still in the dark with regards to, you know? I think we're still in the dark with it. I think that there's still a lot more information that we don't know that I think is slowly kind of coming out as they're kind of revealing more of their cards, so to speak. And I think early on, they just didn't reveal they weren't very upfront, and I think this is where it's important that if we're going to have this type of international collaboration with them, we have to be able to trust them. Uh, we can't trust them. You're absolutely correct. Okay. Can we just admit that we can't trust them and then figure out what to do? Like, I mean, that's yeah, and I, right. I, I, don't we need to do that? And, and what are we doing with regards to the who? Because the who obviously lied. Like, you know, let's just call it what it is. They lied. They purposely, exactly. they purposely uh, distracted from the truth, not even lied. I mean, yes, they lied, but they also, you know, said some things that were absolutely, it, it you know, it, uh, uh, meant to distract us. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. And I think that's where there was a lot of misinformation between the World Health Organization. The CDC came out with, you know, various different information. And I think, again, to your point, if there would have been more truthful dialogue earlier on, I think we would have had better resolution. Did we ever, um, did we ever achieve a model that worked? 
not yet. I, I think we're constantly learning. I think as, you know, it seems like every 14 days, we're learning more and more about diagnostic testing. We're learning more about vaccines. What is working in regards to, to social distancing? You know, these masks and these social distancing goes back to even the Spanish flu going back to 1918. I mean, that's what they utilized, you know, over 100 years ago. And I think they were trying to implement some of the same policies and procedures. But since this came on very unexpected, I think the model is going to take a while to, to really perfect it and to get it right. So what is the death rate at this point? Do you know that the CDC is um, reporting? We have, I think, according to the, the recent literature, about 500,000 deaths with, I think, over 10 million cases at this point. But percentage-wise, do we know? I'm not sure with that. We'd have to okay. look that up. All right. Um, and are they still reporting uh, other other things as coronavirus? They must be because they've incentivized the hospitals to report at, 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 as coronavirus, right? Exactly. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. Yes. So, so the so the numerator is larger than it necess- that it than it should be, and the denominator at this point, because of um, the testing, is growing, which yes. means that the death rate is going down, which is why Absolutely. they they revised it. I know they revised it about a week and a half ago, down to I think it was zero point two five percent, which is roughly in line with the flu. So interesting, isn't it? As we look at the numbers and you really analyze it, I think this is where you're doing some great in-depth analysis, right? In order to, to figure this out, I, I think we have to have more more truthful conversation about it. Well, and, and the problem is, who do you trust? When you've got the, the lead expert saying, don't wear masks, now wear masks. Now you don't need to wear masks. But now masks are mandated. Where's the study that, that proves that masks are useful? Exactly. I, I think that it goes back to, you know, there, there isn't, I don't think, any any certain peer-reviewed articles that are talking about, it would be interesting, I guess, to do more case studies about it, but we just don't have enough sample sizes in regards to the literature coming out fast enough on looking at, is mask working, is it not working? And I think this is where we look to the future of even medical research and what really proper precautions have to take in place. But really, the original thought with the mask is not only to keep yourself safe, but those around you in regards to how contagious and how fast the COVID spreads. Right, which they don't actually know or understand. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's really another this. question. What's going to work? <laughs> What's going to work? Right. We don't know. We're just going to make you do this right now for, for lack of anything else. Right. And then I've seen studies that say that tuberculosis will be on the rise by, by early next year. Like, we're just going to see numbers of uh, cases of tuberculosis and other and other lung issues because of the masks, because we're we're forcing our lungs to do twice the work in, in, in essence. Yes. Right. Yes. And now, yes, yes. And now you've got you know, further problems because of that. So, again, I think it's important to be mindful as you go out in certain places, again, maybe nursing homes or being around those with immunocompromised systems. But again, I think being mindful is just so, so crucial at, at this point. Right. We have to keep that at the forefront. Exactly. And also, take your vitamin C. <laughs> Thank you. Get I some sunshine, right? Take care of your health. Regular exercise, all that good stuff. An apple a day keeps Dr. Dan away, apparently. Right. <laughs> all right, Dr. Exactly. Dan, where can people find your show? Yes, so it's my, go to my website, drdanmd.com, and I'm on the Dr. Dan Medical Futurist Show every night, uh, CRN Radio Network at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Oh, it's CRN. Okay. Dr. 
sorry, Dr. Dan MD, Dr. Dan MD.com. Thank you so much for joining me. That was kind of fun. We'll talk yeah, again absolutely. soon. Always happy to be on the show. Um, you bring great perspective and um, yes, happy to be on anytime. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right. Yeah. I'm just not, I'm, 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 Skeptical, health, healthy skepticism, I suppose, is the best way to put it. Um, so, all right, I want to talk to you a little bit about, well, uh, let me say this. I This will be my last week on radio for uh, at least uh, the foreseeable future. I'm taking the summer off, the rest of the summer. Um, somewhat like Jimmy Kimmel, only probably not with the same reasons. <laughs> Certainly not. I didn't call anybody the N-word. Did you see the response? Um, You know, they're digging up, they're digging through his past. He did a show called The Man Show, which was a show that was specifically and purposefully politically incorrect at a time when being politically incorrect kind of didn't even exist. So it was just satire making fun of stuff. And it featured young women in bikinis, jumping on trampolines. Like, you you can't get any further sort of out of the um, the PC uh, biosphere than his show was. But if they're going to go 10 years back for, um, is it uh, uh, for, uh, oh, shoot, the guy who was going to, Chris, Chris, ah, I can't remember his last, anyway, for the comedian who was supposed to, host the Oscars. I, I'm only thinking Chris Rock, but I, but that's not his name, right? Anyway, if they're going to go back 10 years and find a post, a tweet that he said that he didn't want his son playing with a dollhouse and hold that against him, which, mind you, it was, first of all, a joke, which is always their excuse. The PC police, they always have the excuse when they do something that's wrong. They're like, well, it's a joke. But if you make a joke, it's not a joke. To them. Therefore, it can't be a joke. Uh, and so Jimmy Kimmel is stepping down for the summer. Um, and so am I. But it has nothing to do with Jimmy Kimmel or any of that. I just need, I just need, uh, we've, we're, tra- we're going to be traveling and stuff, and I've decided I need to take a break. So I will miss you guys, um, but you can always tune into old podcasts. Uh, and, uh, I will be doing more Facebook lives and I'll be doing uh, YouTubes and stuff like that and just see where, where it leads me. Um, We got four men charged with voter fraud in the state of New Jersey. They discovered 800 ballots. Now you think 800, what's the big deal? But listen to this. New Jersey City Councilman Michael Jackson and Council-elect Alex Mendez, along with two other men, have been charged with voter fraud. And this comes after the Passaic County Board of Elections had opted out. They opted not to count 800 ballots across several different municipalities. They were, they were um, charged with uh, casting mail-in votes, unauthorized possession of ballots, tampering with public refer- records, and falsifying public re- records. But there's no such thing as voter fraud. Mendez was also charged with election fraud. 
Authorities began investigating after reports surfaced that hundreds of mail-in ballots were found in a Patterson mailbox and another one in Halidon. So they're, they're, they're sending a message that uh, tampering with the elections in New Jersey, you will be held accountable. That's great. That's great. But to now say, oh, there, there can't be voter fraud with mail-in ballots. That's ridiculous. Um, here is the evidence. And these guys were caught. But all that points to is how many people have not been caught. They're both accused of approaching voters in the district and taking their mail-in ballots for delivery without being authorized as the bearer. In other words, they're harvesting, they're ballot harvesting, and then turning them in. In in Mendez's case, he also allegedly acquired and submitted at least one voter registration application for someone who he knew to be ineligible to vote. They also, uh, they, they found hundreds of ballots in the same mailbox. What are you thinking? I mean, these guys are obviously idiots. Well, they think that they can get away with, well, they're Democrats, I'm sure. It doesn't say that they're Democrats. Um, is anybody doubtful that these people are Democrats? Scientists are now warning that the CDC testing data could create a misleading picture of the pandemic. Oh, no, What? This is off of NPR. The CDC has acknowledged it's mixing the results of two different kinds of tests in the agency's tally of testing for the coronavirus, which raises some concern among scientists because uh, that's not science. So it combines the results of genetic tests that spot people who are actively infective that's mostly by using a process known as the polymerase, polymerase, polymerase chain reaction, who whatever, PCR, thank you very much. And it mixes those results from the serology testing, which looks for antibodies in people's blood. Antibody testing is used to identify people who were previously infected. The CDC's practice was first reported by Miami Public Radio. It was confirmed by the agency. There's a, an epidemiologist at the John Hopkins Center for Health Security. She expressed concern that adding the two types of tests together could leave the impression that more testing of ap- active cases had been conducted than was actually the case. It's like saying my son has COVID when all he has is the antibodies. This is a problem. Why? Uh, because they are reporting more cases than actually exist. It's really just about that. All right. So I want to play you this. Um, they did a kind of a roundtable at Cato with Elizabeth Bartlett, who is the woman who says that homeschooling bad, homeschooling bad. I'll play you a little bit of her. value to adult rights. And uh, in connection with that, I think... And- she just said that uh, her main concern is children's rights. Related some to how uh, some of the things Neil said, um, children don't have the power that adults do to protect themselves. So I, I wonder how she feels about abortion. She's probably all for abortion. Yeah, that would be a bit of a conflict there, don't you think? Like, uh, I, I don't believe you're for children if you're not for children in the womb. 
That's just it's me. Important that um, the government be there as a uh, protector for children and uh, be able to intervene to help protect some of their most fundamental rights. Like birth. Like birth. I'm, I'm sorry. I got nothing for this gal, but I, but I'm going to play you uh, what she says because she's, She's out there and she's loud and she has a meaningful name in the debate. I was surprised that she decided to do this on the Cato Institute, uh, but it's, you know, kind of interesting. Um, she talks about, she, she knows, clearly she knows nothing, but she talks about isolation of homeschooled children. Protecting subsets. So when you think of our regulation with respect to child abuse and neglect generally, we have regulation, we have child protective service agencies, we have mandated reporters, not because we think most parents or a majority of parents or even a huge significant number of parents abuse and neglect their children. It's because a subset do. And we need these kinds of laws and protections to protect that subset. So if we look again at homeschooling and the area of abuse and neglect, Yes, I think we have reason to worry that there is a very strong connection between homeschooling and child abuse and neglect. You know what? I I don't know. I don't think people have children necessarily so that they can abuse them. I think child abusers would gravitate towards, I don't know, large institutions where they would find any number of children. I mean, if we're going to think... There's just a very, you know, a, a meaningful swath of human beings who seek to abuse children. Maybe those people would gravitate towards places where there are children, just like NAMBLA, the North American Man Boy Love Association, sought out, specifically targeted the Boy Scouts because what better stomping grounds to go and find, uh, you know, future victims and groom them effectively than the Boy Scouts teach a boy how to really be a man, right? Now she advocates for massive surveillance. Sorry, not massive, minimum, she says, minimum surveillance uh, that you have to check in with CPS. Uh, They have to uh, certify that you have no record of abuse, (laughs) Or, or they just don't give you permission to homeschool. She wants to mandate contact with the outside world. She, um, she wants education to impose its external orthodoxy on children. She wants to make sure that parents don't get the, the basically don't get the final say. That it's, it's imperative that these young kids get to hear other points of view. Once a year. In the realm of education, um, I also think there has to be minimum regulation to protect the child's basic right to learn, to have the kind of learning that will enable that child, when child grows up, to have opportunities for employment. Um, okay. I'm, uh, 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 all right. Uh, how many kids does she have? I actually don't know. I'm guessing zero, but who knows? In any case... This is, this is an ongoing battle. Uh, and, uh, and we are having the debate here. So feel free to tweet me at the Sam Sorbo show or, uh, don't message me on Facebook. 
But do go check out my new website, samsorbo.com. And uh, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening. Now, go have a great rest of your day.